Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олян. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. Shereen Mitchell is here. Shireen is, she calls herself a social entrepreneur. I would call her an activist. She's a digital strategist and a data scientist, longtime coder. She's been around in the tech world for a long time. Um, she runs this research organization that's based in DC. And she and her team were the first to recognize Russian digital threats that targeted, directly targeted black American voters back in the day. So she's been in this fight against disinformation for a long time. Her outfit is called Stop Online Violence Against Women. The website is stoponlinevaw.com. She's an inspiring, fascinating person. It was really interesting for me to talk to her and, and learn from her. And I'm excited to bring you that conversation in a minute. I want to apologize up front. I was in Berlin last week. I was traveling and Let's just say part of the reason I was there was scouting out potential places to flee to if the fascists take over here. Um, I don't really think they will, but just in case. Uh, Berlin is great, man. It's a really great city. It's, uh, it's green and it's sprawling and the people are cool and there's this great creative vibe to it that I really like. And a lot of the city got blown up in 45, so there's a lot of new construction. The architecture is really cool. There's a lot of like, you know, new wavy looking buildings next to old style places. And it's just this big, great mix of stuff that's kind of wonderful. So yeah, shout out to Berlin. I, I enjoy you, Berlin. You're a good city. Um, but on the way home, I did, I, on the plane, I started to catch this cold, which you could probably hear. So I want to apologize for that because my voice, I think, sounds probably an octave or half an octave lower than usual. So I would get my Barry White on here. What did I miss when I was away? Just more horror stuff, more, more terrible things happening. I recorded this conversation with Shireen, I think right before the 4th of July, 
you know, so it took a little longer than usual to release. And at the time, the story about the 10 year old, you know, rape victim uh, who had to go to to Indiana to access health care from Ohio. You know, that that had just came out. And, and I say it's a certain point in this. Oh, my God, it's so terrible that it's almost you don't want to believe that it's true. And of course, it, it you know, the Republicans kind of seized on this and sort of made it seem like it was bullshit. Of course, they were wrong. They were lying. And it is true. And this is the sort of thing that happens. And this is the sort of thing that's going to get a lot more public scrutiny now. We're going to see just how horrible things are in this country. And I think this is going to wake up a lot of people to just the atrocities that are committed by people every day here in the United States. It's a sad state of affairs. And the Supreme Court is awful and they're ideological. And Shireen and I discussed that too. I, I wrote a piece for Tuesday talking about the, the grim economics of what the Dobbs ruling will bear. I mean, who's going to pay for all this stuff? I mean, are they really going to allocate these Republicans who won't pay for shit? They don't pay for anything ever. All they want is tax cuts and nothing. They're going to suddenly like pony up all this money so that people can go follow pregnant teenagers across state lines and return them. Like we're, there's no economic value in that. It's a, it's a, a sunk cost. It's, it's a waste of money among all the other horrible things. So I don't know where this is headed. I mean, I don't like to even parse what they're doing because it makes no sense. It's just fucking dumb. They're faith-based morons, Alito and Clarence Thomas. They just have their their dipshit worldview that basically, I, I don't know if they were seven and they haven't had a, an original thought since then, but that's what it sure seems like. I mean, it's like they believe in the tooth fairy and they're going to arbitrate the cases here to make the tooth fairy seem real. You know, it's just this facile belief system that they have that makes no, that has no internal logic and we're all now slave to it and it's disgraceful. And, you know, I like when people go on Twitter or, or they write articles and op-eds explaining the legal ramifications of blah, 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 but there are none. These people are just cherry picking what they want to get the, the image of America that they want. There's no logic to it. There's no basis in jurisprudence about it. There's no, you know, stare decisis is a is a thing of the past. They're just cherry picking and they want their little wackadoodle religious theocracy. And that's what they're going to have, you know, unless we stop them and we stop them by expanding the court. And the way that we get that is to make sure that that's what we want. And we want, got to vote for Democrats up, down, ballot. Everybody's got to vote in every election and vote blue across the board and get this fascist party, this cancer on the body politic removed and excised from the business of governing. And, the, you know, the Republicans know it. I mean, they know they suck. One of the interesting points that came up in the conversation with Shireen is that the Republicans who are now targeting black voters, they don't try to target them by saying, hey, our party's great for you. They just try to make black people not want to vote by suggesting that the two parties are the same and why bother? Like that's kind of the, the, the goal. They don't even try. They don't even attempt it. I mean, I guess Trump, when he said, what have you got to lose? Is that is that really, does that count as an attempt? It's, it's pathetic. Um, so you got that. You've got the Secret Service losing these text messages. I find it ironic that the guy who was the head of Secret Service at the time left to go join Snapchat, which is a company, a tech company made famous originally by the fact that they pioneered these, these messages, these text messages that disappear forever. There's an irony there. I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, I don't know where this is all headed, but it, it feels like it's headed to not good places. 
I was a little bit um, made, yeah, I cheered, I suppose, by Merrick Garland speaking before Congress or, you know, being asked a question about the, uh, the investigation. And he seemed, the answer to me seemed like kind of what I wanted to hear, which was he was irritated by the question and didn't like the premise of the question that he wasn't doing anything. And, you know, again, we're just reading into the tea leaves here and we're only going to be reading into the tea leaves. No matter if you like the guy, you don't like the guy, whatever. Every blue moon, he comes out and says something that, you know, suggests that, okay, we're, we're working on it. Until there are indictments, it's all fucking noise. You know, the only thing that's going to save us is the indictments. And he says they're going to, that they're going to not stop until they get to the top. Well, that's Trump. So until we have indictments on all these guys, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. And I don't think they need to worry about the clock running out and the election time and all that. Fuck that. Fuck it. Just do the job. If you're not going to worry about the will of the people at all and talk to us at all, why well, care about that? You know, so do I have any more rantage today? I don't. I already talked way longer than I thought, especially with my terrible head cold, which you kind people are indulging me by listening to. I'm going to stop talking now and we're going to be right back with Shereen Mitchell. There's a lady ashore The Trump name is still gold And she fell down the stairway And died For her criminal brood The timing was so good That we all thought she had been Welcome to the Prevail Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate being here, Greg. I, I'm so excited to have a conversation with you today. Uh, me too. No, this is going to be great. You, you Now, in 2013, you started an organization called Stop Online Violence Against Women. And the website for people listening is stoponlinevaw.com. So before we get started into all of the horrible things that are happening in the country, uh, <laughs> let's talk about you. I want to find out what what your background is, how you uh, came to this path, and what inspired you to start the organization. So let's let's start with there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for most people, I try to start from what a very basic beginning, which is I started coding at at ten years old, but I was raised in Harlem. I'm a black girl, Harlem with the projects. Uh, there's no expectation that someone like me would ever code. I taught myself to code, which is also the most uh, shocking thing for most people. Um, and But I actually started as a gamer too, to some extent. I mean, because I used to go to the arcade room every day after school and my mom thought I was not coming home because I was hanging out with boys. If you if you understand time period, even now, right? Most guys think the tech space, game space is their space. Right. So me hanging out with boys constantly, by the way, the boys didn't want me there. The store owner didn't want me there. 
because I could play on a quarter and beat the boys and the boys would get mad and not want to play. So he couldn't make any money. And the boys hated being beat by a girl. My mom thinks, okay, there's a guy there I'm I'm hanging out with. So she's like, so as you can imagine, my social structure is like people mad at something I happen to just love to do. Um, So my mom uh, got the, she, she, you know, she, she told, she didn't, she didn't tell me exactly in the words that the words that she, she should say, but I could tell she was hinting at, do you know how often we fought over this? So when she heard me tell my story as an adult, but um, what she did was, well, she was like, if you, re- is it, if it's really about the games, she bought the first, you know, Atari mm-hmm. basically, and I came home and for her, it was a simple thing. My daughter's safe. She's playing a game. But what I thought about later down the road was now the boys actually think it is their space because what other girl is there battling them? Right. Right. So that was like my beginning sort of that, that ju- those juices are flowing. By the time I left home, uh, I wanted to program and my counselor, I went to, I went to all the special programs. I went to math and science high school. And even my pro, my uh, counselor said, you can't be a computer programmer. You're a black girl. Be realistic. So I went off to college being realistic, but I ended up with a tech crew and a tech crew that ended up working for early days, AOL, ended up being millionaires. I'm still the girl going, I'm being practical. Yeah. So I started a um, web firm in 97, ultimately being the first woman of color web firm. But in my head, still being practical. I'm just trying to teach other people how to do this thing that I think is really easy, but it's not. And I'm starting to realize that it's not for people and I don't know why. Fast forward, I do a couple of classes. I realize there's like a dichotomy between men and women. I try to fix that dichotomy. It doesn't work. (laughs) Um, And then I formed Digital Sisters, which is the first organization to get women and girls of color online and into tech. That was in 99. And we did a survey, uh, you know, asking after school programs and others, what were their numbers of boys versus girls? What were their numbers with the teachers? I, I got screamed at quite a few times, um, but, but that's when I realized that there was a social dynamic happening that like what needed to be fixed, but I didn't know exactly how to fix it. But I thought if I teach the girls the code, then maybe we will sort of, you know, measure this out to some extent, because at this point, I realized this is something I just happen to like. And I, and even though people told me I shouldn't like it, or I can't do anything professional with it, I just kept doing it. Right. It was just something I enjoyed. So when I formed Digital Sisters, I have to, I have to tell you at first, I was like, I messed up because I was like, the thing I loved turned into work yeah and I and I should, I should have just kept it as the thing I love I, I went through like these that little social dilemma at that time but one thing I realized during that work was that the, the easiest thing I could do was teach the girls to code that part of my job was so easy it was the rest of it it was their parents it was the school systems it was the tech industry it was the you know it, all of that became well this is bigger than the girls themselves so let me start looking at how to address that. So I started looking at policies and legislation and I started to notice not only were there sort of structural things being put in their, in their place, but there was way, there was like this, this sort of this sentiment. And as social media expanded, I started noticing that sentiment online. It was the ways in which people had approached young girls, approached Black women, as if 
this is not a domain that they belong in. And that turned into harassment, that turned into violence, that turned into threats. And that's why in 2013, we started processing, hey, there's something else going on here. These women are not only being targeted, but the platforms are not doing anything about it either, despite the terms of service. By the way, still not doing anything about it 10 years later. That part has not changed either. And during that time, we were able to see not only just these, what felt like these one-off things happening, but then there was like coordinated campaigns and threats. The first few were that I caught was stop black girls right behind uh, a black uh, girls rock event. Like there was, it was an immediate campaign backlash to say, stop black girls. Like they can't rock. We have to stop them. The second was um, your slip is showing where there were people pretending to be black women and trying to sow division, pretending to be us with that, like, they're just angry. They're just this, you know, kind of thing, which is typical. And by the way, it still happens. Um, and then the last one that really sealed the deal for me was Donglegate, where um, a black woman was basically standing up for the sexism that she was experiencing, uh, she did a blog post about it in, uh, at, a, at a conference, a tech conference. She did a blog post, this man who, who she was speaking about, who nobody knows by name, by the way, he, he was, uh, uh, he's yeah, walking yeah. around the tech industry, no problems. She cannot, by the way, right? So she just kind of disappeared from the ether, but she wanted to stay in her industry. However, um, that coordinated campaign that went after her, I was mind boggling to watch. And that was probably the first time we took action to like help someone address what was clearly an organized coordinated uh, event happening. Why do you think it is? I mean, do you think it's just straight up misogyny and racism with these guys? Or is it, I, I mean, I guess it, it is like, why? Why do they care so much that women are in these spaces? So if I, if I can take it from where I was, I, I was around black and brown boys and they still had the same feeling, right? So there's this sense of like, there is a domain that they have ownership of. Yeah. When I was doing Digital Sisters, that's exactly kind of the thing that started to happen. So for example, if there was a, a program, like a computer after school program, one of the teachers would call me and say, hey, we got like three girls in here. We can't get more girls, but if you can help us keep these girls because they keep wandering in and out, right? They, they're, they're one minute, they seem excited and another minute they're gone. We don't know why. I always knew why, but I would come in, see how their program was set up and ask them the basic things. Well, what were you doing to like invite? And they were just like, oh, normal, just put up the flat flyers like all the other clubs do. We dot, dot, dot. Like, this is just a basic thing that everyone does. So then I took the three girls, took them into their own room, asked them more questions, had them design the flyers, asked them to think about what they wanted the program to be. They sent out their flyers to their friends. We got like 20 girls leaving other clubs to come to the computer club. The teacher, male, of course, was like, how, what? I said, I didn't do anything. It's them. So we, they still learned the same things that he was teaching the boys. We did it with a little bit of pizzazz and sometimes with music. And then he came to me and he was like, the boys want to come. 
so it's that right it's like they girls can't have their own domain right but i said you know that that works out because what what also needs to happen is the boys understand the girls can do exactly what they're doing and we don't have enough of that there is this assumption that they are the only ones that have the skill sets to do this the way that i was being told all the way up even though i'm i'm me and the computer are working just fine the humans are telling me i can't code i'm me and the computer are talking and we are not having this debate which i always find fascinating because i'm like me and the computer like we're click click clicking so i know i'm 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 putting a, a message in there and the computer's talking back to me and i'm i'm building something i built a database at 10 years old so it's not impossible is that is the rest of it social and this ownership that has been granted has been taken to the extent that no matter what happens when we show up phd and all like what happened to timnit jabru where she wrote a paper about the ethics of ai phd and all black woman still got booted so it don't matter whether we're 10 playing video games or adults with phds our acceptance in the space is tenuous so that level of attack is is, is based on that it is i it, it, if you didn't see the report on kamala harris i've watched everyday people behave the way that i already knew was a coordinated campaign we tracked her campaign two weeks before she ran for president. Yeah. And it was quite obvious. It was so, in my head, I was like, this was so obvious. And we, you know, we were tracking it to see where it would go. It turned into a whole disinformation campaign from another group, but it was, and I got under attack again, as, as per usual. And I'm watching everyday people take up the same behavior and respond to every single thing she does in the exact same way. And they're like, we're just criticizing. No, you're dehumanizing. Yeah. There's a difference. And I don't know why y'all don't think you see a difference, but I can tell the difference between when you are saying, hey, I don't like the way she's talking about policy. Here's what I think is problematic. When you take snippets of a full interview where she says like three to four concrete things and you find the one or two that you want to dehumanize her about, that's different. Yeah, well, that the Kamala stuff was ugly and it was very, it was obvious to me too early on because, you know, I do a lot of reading about what the Russians are up to. And the two candidates that, that Russia seemed to dislike the most were Biden and Harris. That, yes. And so, you know, in a related story, they are now running the country, which is good. But the Harris stuff was just, it didn't even make any sense. Like, you know, the whole Kamala is a cop thing. And Kamala. Like, yeah. We did a toe tracking on Kamala, seeing where that came from. They made up uh, her father's identity. I mean, the, the, the levels for her was, and it didn't end. It's not going to, it's not going to. Eastman wrote the thing in Newsweek questioning her, you know, she was quality, you know, birth birtherism basically for her and you can see it now we when we were doing our piece that my friend lb and i wrote about kavanaugh i had to go back and look at mark judge you know his kavanaugh's high school buddy there he's like this right-wing kind of gadfly there's all kinds of stuff on on kamala there it's like almost like they're workshopping it trying to figure out the best the best ways to attack her and the regular media doesn't help because they, they never you know she's doing stuff all the time and what 85% of Biden's agenda is her agenda that he's just 
you know, going with, which great, but she, you know, and he's pretty good about, I think, giving her credit with things. I think he is good about bringing her around, but the media doesn't care. They just don't report on it. They, they the only time they report on something is if she's wearing like sneakers where most people wouldn't or like she didn't she, she used regular headphones instead of bluetooth headphones oh and she bought that frying pan in france yeah. those are the things right it's ridiculous but and then when know. she talks about policy then it's like that they want to critique how detailed she talked about the policy it's it's right. wild like i was just like for two days in a in a debate with a gentleman he i think was he used to work at ProPublica, and he was like this is absurd this is cringeworthy and she was like humanizing herself as a mother in the, in the situation and that was where he saw cringe how how is that the the cringe because because to see her as a mother is a problem like yeah. there is something wrong with that and then and then when he when biden did something the very next day basically did not elaborate any more than she did on the fda because that's what he wanted to hear more about the fda fda medical abortion portion about like what they could expand which to me that's a legit criticism speak about hey you want to hear more about that that's criticism yeah. that's policy that's legit cringing for 90 seconds over her talking about her being a mom that's not policy you're de that's dehumanization. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And 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 he still not connecting the dots. He was like, well, you just respond, you're just overreacting, which usually gets said to people like me because I'm a black woman and I see and can identify when there's a difference. But right. see, it's not me that can see it, right? I like you have to, you as a white person have to be able to see it to justify the racism and misogynoir that I can witness that I have to experience every single day until you have something that, that you know, without, without uh, the benefit of the doubt, you can see too, especially if you're doing it. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to claim doing it, by the way. No one does. However, he didn't expand any more on the policy. So I sent him the same clip about Biden's next day, very next day, he did it on July 1st. And he says, yeah, Biden is just as bad. I'm criticized. Says you think I won't criticize him too? I was like, no, I just want you to criticize him and, and see if you dehumanize him while you do so. No dehumanization whatsoever. Yeah. Completely void. So then I go, I do another tweet. I said, see y'all, there's no dehumanization here. And y'all like think these things are the same. It's not. Y'all do it all the time that you think that these are the same things. There's a different way that you talk about black women, no matter what setting, no matter what's going on, no matter what their status is. And he basically mocked the social media team, mocked uh, her being in a private jet, jet when she was an Air Force Two, and, and basically on the way to a mater maternal health event. How are those things avoid of your criticism, but cringeworthy over her motherhood? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things here we could talk about. And the only dehumanization you did was a, a, a clown emoji. And then you said, that's not dehumanization enough for you, a clown emoji? What? That is the problem. And it's been a social construct problem for quite some time. It go, the tech industry is just one example of it. But when we're looking at this, we're looking at it from that lens all the way through the political side of it because Black women are the ones that get out the vote. Black women change elections. What happened in Alabama shocked people. But let's just be clear, Biden's in office in March because of South Carolina. Right, right. And that anger got us January 6th. Yeah. 
same anger. I think they, that a lot of that, of the people that went to that thing comes from an unwillingness to admit the truth about everything. Just mm -hmm. a denial, you know, living in denial. And that's where the anger comes from. Yes. But the anger, unfortunately, for us turns to violence. And, and there's like this sort of um, handholding about that when, it, when it's witnessed, whether it's the dehumanization part all the way up until the violence part, because that's how it starts for us. It's the dehumanization that allows the rest. Yeah. Um, okay, so you, there's something called digital voter suppression that you do work with. I think that you coined that term. What is that and how does it work? Yes, yeah, so... We put out the first report to basically say Russia interfered in the election, but with no, with with uh, with the overwhelming target on black identity, black mm -hmm. people, black identity. We did a data visualization of that. Now, mind you, everyone else had the same data, right? This was the thirty five hundred ads from Facebook that came from Russia from the IRA. So what what the news talked about was how much it had a racial uh, lens. Uh, they just kind of kept it very broad. They talked about some of the other aspects that were caught in those ads. And what we did was we took those ads. Um, we did a data vis visualization based on the connectedness on what the ads were pushing or what they were using to push out about that. And we did a link. Um, um, a web on a web of nodes about it and you know maybe at some point I'll show you but um when we saw that we realized that there were key groups that were named but done very differently so the way that they use black identity was one to deter black voters right yeah the other was to anger other groups so we're always used as both sides of this. So our existence angers certain people, even if, <laughs> even if we're not doing anything at all, <laughs> which, is which is unfortunate, just being present. Yeah. Um, but if anything that we do, trying to get rights for us angers the world. And so they were using um, aspects of that, whether it was Black Lives Matter, whether it was uh, defund the police, but, you know, defund the police came later, but like anything around police brutality, they had all those linkages where you can see that they were in one point pretending to be us, sharing content to get trust, and then telling us not to vote. Yeah. Right. The other was the using our identities to piss off people, uh, whether it is in Texas. But the linkages, they all stayed in the same node, at webs of nodes, right? So even conversations around Texas and gun rights stayed in that same web. Even conversations about, you know, age, I call them Agent Orange 45 or, or anything about Tucker Carlson or anything about white nationalism, that was also connected to the same set of connection points. What was not connected is what told us the story. And that was native community had their own little node outside of the web. The Chicano Latino community had a whole different node out completely outside the web. But Muslim Islam was not. There's a story there, no one catches. So at that point we were going, okay, so now that we know, and we put that report out in 2018, the Senate Intelligence Committee finally did theirs in 2019. By the way, Kamala was on that committee. 
then there was another one that came out around that time uh, from Oxford and a couple of other groups, but they didn't do anything more but, but repeat kind of what we said, but they just said it differently. But since they're Oxford, you know, that conversation always turns different. So once we saw that, we decided to look for any other of these campaigns, which of these campaigns happening that are specific to targeting black voters, because that was what we already, already understood because of the stop black girls, because of uh, Dongle Gate, because of the other stuff, it was like, so now there are clear campaigns that are after black voters. So in 2020, as we were doing that search, we discovered five of them and they were very specific in the sense of not only targeting black voters, but telling black voters to not vote for the Democrats. By okay. the way, that's that's still going on. So you, you have to think about that for a second. Like, that's the pause. Why not vote for Dems? Why not say, hey, here's something good that can happen if you vote for Republicans? Why not have a campaign and say, hey, Republicans got your back on this, 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 and this? Because they don't. Because they don't. <laughs> Because they want you all to, they want us to die. That's why. Yeah. But <laughs> right. I mean, they could have even tried the criminal justice thing when, uh, you know, when, uh, when that whole uh, conversation around uh, what's it called? First, first step act. No, there's no, con there's no content around those things. So you have to think about it. This is once you, once you figure out like that expose that happened where, um, we learned, I call him Agent Orange 45. We learned that Agent Orange 45's campaign had three voter suppression campaigns. Like they actually said it. Brad Pascal told like Business Insider, we have three voter suppression campaigns. What race is on there? Black. Yeah. I mean, let's be real, right? So the Russians were doing it. They were doing it. And now there's other campaigns doing it. So no. that's why we started looking at it closer to see this is now not a foreign thing happening, even though that may be where it started. This is a domestic piece. Yeah. So who domestically is participating in this? So you said before there's five. It was five. Five. What does that mean? Five campaigns, five different nodes, like five means of attack what, what do you mean by five five different very specific campaigns okay what were the five campaigns one i'm gonna name and as soon as this goes out they're gonna come for me but they were called ados american descendants of slaves okay they actually had a campaign all the way into 2020 that said to black people they used to have a campaign that was alongside of the first russian campaign which is don't vote telling people not to vote is illegal. So they move their campaign into uh, go vote, but don't vote top of the ticket. Do not vote for president. Yeah. Vote for everything down, just not the top of the ticket. Now that's an alarm for me because one of the reasons when we looked at the first disinformation campaign, we saw that there was this very specific campaign about both the same that was used to convince people not to vote top of the ticket. There was, there was a lot of both the same. There was a lot of that going around. I mean, even I noticed it. Russia. It clearly targeted too, to the black community, I, th I thought, yeah. That's Russia. Yeah. Now domestic. Okay. Right? 
it's now domestic. So like people won't even connect the dots, but most people say it, right? That's the thing. People tell me all the time, like disinformation has no impact. And I'm listening to people repeat something that happened in 2016, like it's normal. It's now part of their lexicon. That's how disinformation works because now you don't know the difference in where it came from. Right. You just repeat it. So I get so many people that say that all the time. And 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 there has to be like a constant discourse about this. So it, it has worked in a very un, un, you know, uncomfortable way for me to say out loud in my community. So now we have to interrogate why people would actually say, I won't vote at all or make these statements and dig deeper into where it's from. But most people don't realize on the surface of it, it's, it's a disinformation campaign that took hold, period. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so a, what, ADOS. So, right. So, so they ended up having people saying that they were not, and, and by the way, most of that campaign, which is why I even wrote about them, uh, was mostly fake accounts, mostly some of those Russian amplified accounts helping to amplify them because they were a very small group. And I went on air <laughs> to talk about it. And I actually have the, uh, the data points where me going on air spiked their awareness, people being aware of them, and leveled them out. Prior to that, nobody knew who they were. Okay. So once that got the spike that it needed and all the false amplification that that's how less what the Russian side does, is falsely amplified as fake accounts, as multiple versions of it, people now think that they're listening to a framework that's real, that like it, there's a couple of real people who agree with it, but that number is like this in comparison to the black community. So they've gone up and down, leveled out. They come back in and out of my my um, DMs and my my uh, mentions on on Twitter every once in a while. Someone goes back to 2019 and and finds an old tweet and tries to repeat it. But the what? goal was to do exactly that: get black people to just to to go vote, but just don't vote top of the ticket. That's how Michigan was won, right? Michigan in 2016, when Hillary lost, was 90k people 90k yeah. people did not vote top of the ticket in michigan 90k that's a lot of people 77k is what agent orange won by so let me just make sure that we're clear about how all these little pieces work and why we're in stop still messiness now because 77k is what he actually won by in total right yeah. in michigan alone he only won by 11k so imagine, had people voted top of the ticket, would they have voted for him? If Unlikely. Wasn't, yeah. If there was disinformation that now people were thinking about Hillary and the emails, like some people are still repeating the email thing. It's mind boggling to me, but it works. The media copies it, it works. So Michigan was the proof that this works. So now you see campaigns like ADOS, they were using it. We're just going to tell black people, don't vote top of the ticket. Vote down ballot, don't vote top of the ticket. That was to impact every presidential race. So, so somehow the major year of voting, black people are not supposed to vote for top of the ticket at all. Have no say. Right? That's how you know something's odd happening. So that was one. There was another one called FBA that did something very similar, which is Foundation Black Americans. A lot of these groups now focus on what they claim is reparations and only reparations. So if there's no reparations policy or no reparations candidates, they are not to vote for anybody. 
still the same weapon just with a different lens yeah yeah okay i see that makes sense now how it works okay right yeah now you can now you can connect the dots so if you're not paying attention to the campaign you don't realize how it's still being woven and how it gets shifted a little bit because they got called out quite a bit for their behavior and people started to notice and and pull away they also have a very xenophobic lens which i'll go into later but this whole replacement theory uh impacts this group very differently because they see black immigrants as replacements mm, okay now you have a xenophobic immigration fight so they fall right into some of what the republicans are talking about right they, they can't get reparations but they can push the immigration and right. and, and, and criminal justice right but it, in 2020 there was really no lens that you could go to to say well the Re republicans going to do this for you but the other was um a blexit which you know is candace's candace's thing telling people to not vote for dems to only vote for republicans and we see what she's been doing since right yeah but that was also during during 22 and um walk away another example a white gay man telling black people not to vote for dems not hiring black people not supporting black people but telling him he's saving them right so at some point i i saw your face i just is that effective it doesn't seem like it should be effective it works oh my god yeah what's the what that's the like how does it work i don't understand how it works like what 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 um uh trying to figure out what to ask what's the what's the cell you know like that makes the thing about the reparations makes sense like that's a, okay hey neither party is going to give us what we really want fuck them both like that's i could see somebody being like yeah that makes sense but a white gay guy telling you not to vote like what why would someone listen to that person <laughs> it's it's been fascinating we walk the walk away uh democratic uh uh, campaign actually showed up in um, Georgia. We our third report with our Project Domino showed the campaigns that were working in Georgia, trying to keep people from flipping Georgia. Yeah, walk away Dems were one of those one of those actively happening during that time period. We were able to track that. That's a perfect example. They will still show up talking in the way that they think black people want to hear that whole well they're both the same so but here's things that you can do and here's the way that we see it and we're just here to support you we just want you to realize that no one is going to protect you like we are that same sort of white savior nonsense that comes out but they were very active during uh georgia that okay. georgia senate race extremely extremely active so it's a thing like they say well um the Democrats aren't going to do anything. They're taking your votes for granted. You're going to vote for them and then they're going to ignore you for four more years, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 I got it. Exactly. Yeah. Cause there has to be a, a cell. Otherwise nobody's going to listen that, that makes, you know, some sense. So, okay. That makes yeah. sense. And of course the other one is the, the, the King, uh, King maker that blacks for Trump nonsense where it was mostly white people. That was barely. <laughs> There, that was barely, uh, but the, you know, there's a guy that still goes around to all his events that has that sign up. You know, you see it. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a steady job, I guess. For him, you know? <laughs> so it's so, one job uh, Trump created. You know, right. So as you can see, each of these have a different component in the way that they talk to black people, but they all have one 
purpose telling black people not to vote for Dems. period yeah so when we started to see those campaigns we were like we have to stop this this digital vote suppression so we defined it we identified it and we came up with a campaign to make sure people can see one example was i there was a prominent black male who was telling people not to vote during 2016 Heading into 2020, his tweets were still up. The the images from Russia were still up. The, 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 uh, so I went to t- Twitter and I was like, you know this is disinformation. You know this is vote suppression. Why is it still up? And they were like, oh, we didn't know this. And I was just like, but I'm pretty sure, you know, there's, we, we can argue this in a, in a whole different way. But you did see, you just doing the same thing everyone else does, basically. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal until one of us starts to scream about it. And even then we're, we're, we're told we're over, we're overreacting. Right. But I had to like literally show them before they took it down. It it stayed up for like four or five years before they took it down. Who was it? Or do you not want to say? I'm not going to say because he's another one that will just come at me with his name being mentioned. So, okay. Um, they, they have a tendency, all of them have a tendency to go after black women and keep, try to keep the, 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 their little, what's, what's the word I want to say? Their little minions coming at you. Yeah, and I've yeah. been through it enough years. I don't have to keep going through it every time, but I'm not going to stop talking about this. The reason why we focus on digital vote suppression is because we're looking at two, two aspects. One, if you understand now that Stop the Steal is, is, is a lie, it's made up, it's a disinformation campaign, and yet we have laws in place taking away the voting rights of Black people, specifically yeah. targeting them directly. So that voter suppression, that level of voter suppression works. It's not always identified. It's not always taken down. And that's the problem that we have. It will go around millions of times before it, it gets taken down. And by that time, people believe it before it gets removed and it getting removed then justifies well that's a conspiracy theory they just don't want you to know about yeah yep yeah it's It's very insidious it's it's very clever it's insidious and clever right so trying to stop it before it gets there is one of the things that we try to do we try to see and and identify places where we know black people are being targeted especially for their vote or their belief systems and try to get in there um, it's not always easy because there are some real legitimate concerns that black people have in this country it's how the tuskegee experiment thing worked to keep black people from getting covid vaccines right that worked for a while because you can say tuskegee and not make people think about what tuskegee is i had to ask black people tell me what tuskegee is tell me what tuskegee is and they would say we were experimented on. No, we all caught syphilis the way syphilis gets caught. Now, next, tell me else what Tuskegee is. They, um, wait, right, they don't have another answer. So I have to explain to them, it was an experiment, but the experiment was to see what syphilis would do to a body using our bodies as the experiment. There was a cure for it, that was not given to us. So the COVID, COVID is a, a, a disease and the vaccine is a cure for it. You're saying you're not taking it. Think about how those two stories don't match. And then I stop and say, if you have syphilis right now and you go to your doctor, are you not taking the medicine? Just tell me yes, so that this will correlate. 
they never tell me yes. <laughs> That's the insidious nature. It's not even the details of Tuskegee. It's just using Tuskegee, which is the kernel of truth. Like Tuskegee does exist. Yeah. But the rest of the story around Tuskegee does not match. But all they have to do is say Tuskegee and use it. This is, yeah. I'm, I'm being quiet because I'm processing all of this. And it is, it is very clever. But yeah, it, it requires also people to think critically to the point to go from point A to point B, which the Republicans are very, very good at you know, these bumper sticker kind of bullshit slogans and stuff that, that, that have no meaning, um, you know, build the wall, for example, you know, what does that even mean? It's just, it, 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 there's nothing there. There's no there there, but, you know, Trump kept saying it and people seem to buy it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a similar. It's exactly the similar thing. And yeah. so now we're seeing it in different ways where the things that about you know you know drop you know drop boxes are now being targeted because that was what we were able to do during COVID. So what was happening during COVID wasn't just the anti-vaxxers, but it was being used as a weapon to scare black elders from going to vote because they're a yep. dominant number, right? Mm -hmm. So you got you got COVID now in politics to help spread disinformation in ways that one, you're, you're scaring black people from getting the vaccine and then you're scaring them from going out to go vote. Yeah, no, it's it's a scary thing. I mean, and, and very effective. And, you know, the voter suppression laws anyway are so geared towards making it so that black people don't vote. I mean, that's the whole point of it. That's if the you, whole point of it. it. If you look at the percentages of of you know, state by state, the, the percentage of black population that Mississippi is the highest, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 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 Mississippi should be blue in theory, but it isn't. I mean, Texas should be blue and they're because those fuckers are so good at at repressing the vote um, and they any little trick they can try to do it, they do. Mm -hmm. um, and this is just part of that. It's 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 several arrows in the quiver that they can yes. use against everybody. Right. So. And, and, and the thing is, and people say this to me all the time, because they're like, well, what's different than like a regular political campaign? It's like the difference isn't just the lie. It's the manipulation of the lie. Yeah. And it's the way in which it's very specific towards voters and not just um, like an average, I, I, this is me and my opponent, my opponent is trash. It's very much, it's now a practice. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, there was a practice of deterrence all the time. It's the level of practice of deterrence that has moved to a digital phase. Yeah. Particularly yeah. towards black voters. And and what they do to black voters, they will just expand to every other group. Remember, even the Russians had that idea. They yeah, have yeah. a different conversation with the native community, a different conversation with the Latin community, but the purpose is still the same. There also seems, I mean, based on what you were saying before, this is something I hadn't thought about, but the the idea of splintering the black community and making it not a, you know, solidly democratic block, which of course is the point, but the idea of the the descendants of slaves versus more recent immigrants who are not, and what does that mean? And then you throw reparations into the whole equation, and then it becomes this: well, if we're going to get reparations, this guy can't have, you know. And then where do you draw the line? Like, what if, what if one of your parents is one and one is the other? So it it does create these these divisions, which are um you know 
Oh yeah, in, in my community, it works because there there were always divisions. We always had like people assume that we, and, and I think every community has their divisions. But yeah. people always assumed that we were solid, and we were never completely solid. We had our own little infactions that always existed, had their own belief systems, and you know, but it wasn't the majority. And that's the part I keep trying to explain to people. We had all our infactions; they just were not the majority of us. But if you get to do a digital campaign that falsely amplifies one of the factions as if that's the majority of us, then you get tensions happening in ways that should not be happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it shifts the scales. It shifts the balance of power artificially. Artificially. It's artificial, though. That's the key. Artificial. Yeah. It's not the majority. It's the same way when you saw exactly what happened with the election, right? Why was he upset about the numbers during his inauguration? Because all the people making noise are not real. Yeah. So the people show up and you see a different number. Those are the real people. And, I, that's, the, and that's the other debate because inauthentic versus real is the problem that we're having. Most people don't know whether they're talking to an inauthentic person, someone pretending to be something else. They could be real, but they can be fake. Right. And, and, their, and their identity. During a troll farm from Russia, there was one person pretending to be 500 different accounts and versions of themselves. But there's not 499 people. Right, yeah. The same thing I tell people about like the Electoral College. The Electoral College allows certain people in this country to vote like they're 300 people. Yes, it does. There are not 299 actual people. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think a lot of this stuff is bullshit anyway. Like sometimes Facebook will put out the, here's the most popular posts on the thing. And Ben Shapiro is always, you know, five of the top 10. And it's like, Facebook is all old people now. It's not, nobody young listens to that. Who the fuck is listening to Ben Shapiro that's over the age of like 45? Like, really? The, like it's the false amplification and it's the ads, right? It's the yeah. ability to push those ads that people actually see the impressions like yeah. that's the that's the key part that's why they're taking down their crowd tangle because I, I actually think they're going to bring agent orange 45 back on the crowd tangle gets to see which which posts go up which ones are disinformation and has a record of that they're now going to dismantle that i'm just letting you know like this is a, a, this is not shocking to me but this is like once you once you figure out how to look at this and the people who are looking at it you're now, and it's not that many people, right? We're small in comparison to other groups that are looking at this. But you take those tools away, then who points it out? Facebook's not going to point it out. Yeah. We know that by the hearing of Hogan. We knew that by Hang. <laughs> but, you know, Hang was first. Again, a woman of color. No one really paid attention to her. But Hogan comes out with all those documents and we're like, hey, there's something wrong here. And now we're shifting same same problem we have a problem with the way that we accept the reality that's being presented and i what i see happening is is, is a pattern of this where the, that disinformation that targeted those targeted campaigns are still going to exist and the the people who still get banned and suspended the most are black and brown people that's still going to happen it's still happening despite them realizing that their algorithms were protecting white white people over over black and brown people we know that now we know they had that yeah. instead of fixing it they just decided to stop using it right because they 
don't want to give, that says they don't want to give protections to black and brown people. Yeah. And that, that says a lot. So how do we move through this if black voters are going to change the election? If you can't center black voters, then we cannot fix this. Yeah. And that's what our Stop Digital Vote Suppression campaign is about, trying to get people aware of all these tactics that are now expanding into Spanish language, Latinos, like what happened in Florida with, with Joe Biden, same thing. They waited until six weeks out when, when the disinformation was already taken over to try to come up with language to contest the conversations being had. Socialism was, was winning in Florida because of the, the, the culture of Latinos. There's different groups there too. The factions exist there too. Yeah, sure. What do you what what are you seeing in Georgia now? I'm curious because Georgia, you have you have obviously two black men running for the Senate. Um, is that is the techniques the same? Or are they different? What, what what's going on? The techniques are very much the same. It's the same way they talk about Stacey is still again number one in that. If you didn't see almost every candidate from dog catcher all the way up had Stacy's name in their mouth, even though they weren't running against her. It was wild. But that's that's the real world example. While you if you look at it from a digital perspective, you see the same type of reactions towards her. She's she's been a little quiet to me in a way that I'm just like a little nervous, but I think she's gonna eventually ramp up. But but everyone has a disinformation campaign about her. It's not gone. Um, I know that they're working on it. I know for a fact, because I know there was at least one event that they were having about Georgia. Um, what was easy to see with Georgia in, uh, in January, uh, before the January 5 runoff, was that there were two candidates that looked oddly different. That was, you know, Warnark and um, Ossoff. So there was a lot of tension around that. What I'm seeing is this, this level between these two black men uh, where I think Warnock is, should not like, let me say this, he and Warnock should not be so close, Yeah, but they are. And a lot of it has to do with the, cult, the cultural narratives that happen between these two people. And I just find it odd because like, if you, I'm not hearing the same conversations about him be, you know, being a pastor at Martin Luther King's church, like the things that were working before, I'm not seeing a lot of them now. And I, I think that that's a problem. <laughs> I think okay. they, they, they're thinking they don't have to do that because of the South. You know, the church is a normal thing. Right. And there's a missing component there. I, you know, it's some things I've been thinking about as, as we're moving towards that one. Um, but what I do see is people all of a sudden defending Walker in a way um, that they would not have before. Uh, you know, what, what's the word I want to say? There's a dehumanization of Black people that they're not smart, right, in, 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 in multiple ways, for, for multiple reasons. And whenever he stumbles like that and you could tell something's off, there's like a defense that shows up. And I find that that particularly unique because that's not what is done. To, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, not, yeah, sure. They give him a lot of leeway. And there's a, like a whole a like sure. outsized leeway, outside benefit of the doubt that I that is really not granted to Black people, no matter what position that they're in. And that's what worries me about the Georgia thing. 
I saw the poll numbers last week that he was 10 points up or, you know, Walker was trailing by 10. I, who knows what any of that means at, at this point. And no, that, that, I'm sure the, it's going to get worse for the polls. I have learned because of the disinformation Yeah, is, is not giving us the, the I think the, I, I honestly believe that we need to stop relying so much on polls. I'm not saying don't do them, but I would say two things I would, I witnessed in 2016, I witnessed white women say one thing and lie when they went to go vote. And there's no, like, it, it, there's something that doesn't make sense in, in what we were hearing and seeing and how those women actually voted. And that says to me that they realize at some point that if they say it out loud, they look like they're anti-feminist. So they just didn't say it. They didn't mm -hmm. report it, but they went in and pulled the lever for him. Right. Yeah. I think that that must have happened. I mean, yeah. The, the... And, and, and then the rest is like watching other aspects of polls being when I'm listening to what sounds like disinformation campaigns versus what gets asked in the polls. Those two things are not, not always measuring up. And that's how I now say, you know, as much as I think polls need to still be used, I don't think people are asking the right questions in the polls anymore. Yeah. They're not accounting for the disinformation. They, they think they're asking standard questions and they're missing the nuances behind it. So for me, the polls don't. Yeah, no, I don't try. I don't. You know, why would we trust it? They've been wrong constantly the, the whole time. Um, okay, we got to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be right back with Shereen Mitchell. Hey, everybody, it's LB. This episode of Prevail is brought to you by our new Friday night show, The 5 8, airing live on YouTube at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. On The 5 8, Greg and I discuss five topics for eight minutes each, and you never know who might drop by. So pour yourself a cocktail or a cup of tea and join us tonight on The 5-8. You can subscribe on our YouTube channel, The 5-8, F-I-V-E, and the number eight. See you later. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Shereen Mitchell. We're, we're late in the game here, but I want to talk about all the Supreme Court stuff that happened mm -hmm. um, as we're recording this. It's the 3rd of July. What an Independence Day tomorrow is going to be. Woo woo. Yay, USA. So proud. Um, but the, the court has been just trying to hurl us back into the 19th century, it seems like, uh, in the last, not just the Dobbs decision, which is a horror on its own, but also the getting rid of the Miranda thing, the fact that now the border patrol can just, I think, as I understand it, I live close enough to the border, they could just come take me away and they'll never see me again. Um, and the, the, every, the gun stuff, which is crazy. And now this, this uh, West Virginia EPA thing, which seems to curtail the power of the federal government over the states. It looks like we're going towards this new states' rights thing with, uh, you know, I, I didn't think we would get to a point where we would ever be talking about Plessy or or the Fugitive Slave Act again in any way that wasn't just historical and looking back on it in horror. But here we are. So what's your take on all this stuff? Oh, my goodness. My take is simple. The 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 current court is a activist court, is a biased court, is a ideological court it is not a lawful court yeah that's my original take and here's why i say that 
looking at the Dobbs case alone, before looking at anything else, when we looked at that in detail and we did our infographic about it, what Alito's opinion actually says is that we're looking at laws in 1825 all the way up to 1910 as precedent over the 50 years of Roe to present. Yeah. That is not a lawful court because you cannot look at the laws in 1825 when we were still slaves and forced to give birth as evidence yeah. if the 13th and 14th Amendment exist. Just even doing that tells me that we're not, we have a very different court. And they can't, they're not even constitutionalists. No, no. That, that has, if they were constitutionalists, they wouldn't change the laws because there's no mechanism in the Constitution that grants the Supreme Court the right to do that. No, at all. Nope. So before the 13th, 14th, and 19th Amendment, you're going to use those laws that should actually all be discarded, by the way. Yeah. In comparison. And those laws were no longer on the books. You're citing old laws right? Those laws were no longer on the books, but that, those are the laws you're citing right now. 13 of those states were not states. They were still territories. So you're even citing a territory that wasn't a state as if it was a state. Yeah. I, there's no rhyme or reason to what these fuckers are doing on the Supreme Court now. I just think they're just fascists and they just they mm -hmm. pick and choose and cherry pick the way that they want to get the result that they want. Yes. Which is, you know, again, and you know this clearly, but when the, this country was founded, it was all a bunch of rich white guys, most of whom owned slaves and they didn't care about anybody else. They didn't care about, they didn't acknowledge that black people were, were, were human basically. I mean, in, in that sense, they, they, they were too much of wimps to use the word slaves in the document, but they allude to it. Um, women forget about it. I mean, women yeah. didn't have any, women couldn't vote until 1920, which I, I have to keep repeating that because it just boggles the mind, but it's, it's true. So that's what percentage of the population are these people even writing for, you know? Exactly. Yeah, obviously the natives don't don't count the Native Americans don't count at all in the in, in in these equations. So you have a a an original document written at this time when it's just it's a completely different world written for a very, very small percentage of the population. Um, you know, and how many Supreme Court justices were there then and how many people? I think I think the court should be expanded exponentially. I don't think there should be 11. I think there should be like 125. I think it should be 13 because we have 13 circuit courts. That That's my... How about, what, what's 13 times nine? Let's do it that. I think the more we have, <laughs> the more we have, the less opportunity there is for it to be corrupted. That's my take on it. Yeah. So I, I definitely should, I, I definitely think we should be having the conversation about expanding the courts. I think, I, I think pretending like that should, it's off the table just doesn't make any sense to me. We should definitely do that. But I also want to say to the other things that you, that you were speaking to, for example, some of the things that they're doing just is saying like, oh, you know, like the gun laws, like the musket was the gun at that time, but it still counts for AR 14 and 15. And, and you just like, how is that possible? And, and, and so we didn't have the internet, but somehow things in the First Amendment attribute to the internet too. Like all of a sudden, we're we're pretending like all these things were things that they were thinking about and was 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 included. But but 
slavery, right? We, we're gonna we're gonna enact a law that still was around slavery. Yeah. So we're saying slavery is the thing that we will still accept today. Like the, the, the hinting at the way in which they're using certain parts of these laws, but the other piece, the overarching piece that you spoke to is this is literally just doing a state's rights court. That means yeah, the yeah. federal government should have no say into anything that's happening. And that goes back to the, the debate and the compromise of 1877 during that election, that presidential election, where that compromise was one of which that the South gets to do whatever they want to Black people. Yeah, federal troops move out, yeah. And the, and the, and the North can't say anything and there's no more feds. That is what we're dealing with. That is the reality. Like that compromise is the is somehow still being debated in twenty two. Yeah. Oh, it's it, it it's all insanity, and I can't like my mind is reeling where this is all going to go. I mean, it didn't even take long. There's already there's I, I there's a ten year old who's pregnant that they won't give right. her an abortion. And I and I, this just happened a week ago. The, yep. the overturn, and I've. I, I read that. I'm like, that can't be real. That has to be a hypothetical. It's so awful. Like any way you look at it, that that something like that could be real, and that. But the problem is, is that things like that were happening. See, that's the yeah. that's the catch, right? Yeah. Things like that were happening, and we were kind of like playing it like it was like it was you know like uh, these are just rarities, and we don't deal with this on a regular basis. While these young girls are being raped as children. Yeah, one of those states tried to move down. I think it was Tennessee tried to move down the marriage law to like twelve. Yeah, I think about this. Like there are people out there that really have some really uh, what's what's the word I want to say? Assholic, vile, <laughs> yeah, concepts of other humans in this country, and we're all supposed to be Americans, right? But we're not. We have never been, and that's the reality. We have never been. There's only one group that's been classified as Americans and, and the rest of us are just kind of here at their will. A lot of this conversation, especially around these, this aspect that just happened is about bodily autonomy. And even though the 14th amendment spent you know, years trying to help protect our autonomy, i.e. black people because of slavery, a lot of that 14th amendment that got used, I think there were like 200 cases that were being used to protect corporations. Right. Instead of people, our liberties. And I think a lot of that too says um, a lot about who we're willing to protect in this country and as people with corporations that are big enough to move the courts. And that just tells us we're, in my opinion, justice has never been blind. Justice has definitely seen who they wanted to protect and who they didn't. Yeah. And I, there's going to come a point, and maybe we've already reached the point where the even the rulings of this court are going to seem so batshit and out of whack that I mean, our state's just going to stop listening to them. And where, whereas you know, at the end of the day, the authority that we put in the court is just something that we put into. We've all collectively decided to put our faith in this institution, and if the institution isn't worthy of that faith, it's going to break down. I mean, we have. I I live in New York, and our governor. And our state house passed this this big abortion thing over the you know in the last week that codifies all this stuff in our state constitution. What are they going to do? Are they going to federal troops are going to come here? And no, that's not going to happen. Are they really? Go, are there really going to be people that they send 
to chase after 12 pregnant 12 year olds that are driving from Tennessee to somewhere else to get I mean we're really going to have that I mean this is this is the conversation that you know was happening to black people before and now we're like hey are we going to do that but we did do it before we did yeah <laughs> but it's just a problem like we actually did do that before some of that turned into what we now know as the police departments yeah. but like we need to be honest that that this country has done that and and the question now is um are we just going to repeat this history and start all over again or are we going to try to stop this from happening because we thought it was wrong then and i'm sorry to say there are people that don't think this is wrong yeah did you see that interview where someone was asking a guy at the NRA whether or not he thought slavery should exist or not? And the guy was like, no comment. Yeah. And, right. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. I mean, there's still people, they were, they were saying it to us before. Like we were better off when we were slaves. We were better off. Yeah. No, that's the, that, it's, it's a rationalization. They have to, I, I feel like people, this, devoid of soul and devoid of of goodness have to rationalize the way that they behave because you know otherwise they wouldn't be able to continue you have to be able to as a human look at yourself and say no no i'm doing the right thing and the only way to for them to possibly justify it is to think well no everybody we, we they were treated fine and or or that it, it's it's some inhuman thing there's no other because there's no there is no moral excuse for it there just isn't. Yeah, and that's how I feel about people right now using the story of Gilead as like justification of like getting people rallied up. Gilead is a story about Handsmaid's Tale where a woman, a white woman writes a book about this very thing that happened to black people, but killed off all the black and brown people and the fertile people are just white women. Mm. We know that's historically inaccurate, right? Because the most fertile people were the ones that were used to produce products, right? For this country, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just, can we tell the story? Can we tell uh, the American story and not pretend Gilead is some future? Gilead was America. Yeah. Is America. And can we just tell those stories? Because that's the problem that we're having. And also the way in which we can't find that empathy for people like us who are going through the voter suppression, because most, most of these people don't think that's going to happen to them until it does, right? The, the abortion rights stuff has everything to do with what we couldn't do. Black women were forced to have 27 children in their lifetime. Even the founding fathers mentioned what their biggest value was. And it was the the ability to have a, a a a new product every two years, and the concept that that being used towards other people is not that is discounting other people. Is that you have to understand if you're willing to let things happen to to us, then you're willing to let it happen to everyone else because they will just keep moving the needle. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what Nazis do. That's what fascists do. That's 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 their their deal. Um, so this is a good question, I think, to end on. What what can we do to help? You know, what how can we be good allies? What what can we uh, people listening to this people, white guys like me who are uh, ashamed of all this stuff? What can we do to help? 
Yeah, I think I think the, the first part is one acknowledging all the things that we just talked about. I think this is such an important conversation. I thank you for having me here to, to have it. Um, I think that the first part is to try to start to identify the things I just told you. Now you see with Kamala Harris. If you see with Kamala Harris, then you have to see with all the other women who are trying to get out the vote. Um, pay attention to that, find ways to protect them because the black women are gonna fight to get this, to, to keep moving because they're used to fighting, right? That's gonna keep happening. Stop the people from trying to stop them. Yeah. Number one, even if they look like you, those are the people you have to stop. Find a way to, to, to protect and shield those women who are fighting the fight. Even if you can't yourself get on the ground with them, Make sure that there's they they are their barriers are limit are are, are um, small, not large. That's number one. Number two, um, definitely trying to hold these these platforms accountable for that level of targeting that does not get um, that does not get challenged. That 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 same protections like from the from the online version of it, you see someone being online harassed you know, start to say something, report, make sure that you're doing whatever you can to, to get those accounts disabled. Um, I think we're still going to have a huge battle if, if uh, Elon buys Twitter and oh. Agent Orange comes back on and Facebook dismantles CrowdTangle and brings him back on. The tools are now being removed on purpose. And that's the fight that should be happening about why that's a problem. Too many people are saying that he has the right because of free speech. He does not have more rights than any other human being. He does not get to break the terms of service unlike any other human being. The looting starts, the shooting starts is literally still up on Facebook. That's a target on black bodies. He literally asked his team to shoot the black lives matter people in Washington. Yeah. Why are we shocked that anything else is possible? I don't know. The thing I need people to realize is that if he was willing to do that, that summer, everything else is possible. There should be no sitting benefit of the doubt for anybody. Yeah, certainly not him. And certainly not him. But nobody should be granted it. it there should be no more. You should move away from the benefit of the doubt until I can prove it. Stop. I don't operate on that anymore. I operate, you have to prove to me you're not malicious, not the whole, you're, you have the benefit of being good until I figure out when you're malicious. That's too long in the span of time that we're in. I just need people to understand that. The law is telling us that they don't care about the benefit of the doubt anymore. Yeah. Like the reality checks that need to happen along those lines as well. You know, the other the other key pieces is that these whatever's happening in your state, whether it's the abortion rights or the voter suppression rights or these parents' rights laws, those are the three key things you have to pay attention to, especially the parents' rights laws. Some people are calling it don't say gay. That's not those laws. Everything is in those same laws. Gay sexuality and all of that happens to be in there too. Those parents' rights laws are taking away children's autonomy. So let me tell you, if they can move back Brown versus Board, guess which children they're also going to go after in the schools with parents' rights as a law. Look at all of those laws, try to figure out how to stop them. And of course, you know, vote and focus on your state legislatures. You got to see what your state legis legislatures are trying to push each agenda year 
I think I said a lot, but no, that's good. This is all this is all useful stuff. Um, so again, your your website is stoponlinevaw.com. You are on Twitter at digital sista, S-I-S-T-A. Um, so Shireen Mitchell, thanks so much for joining me today. This was really great conversation. I thank you for having me. I really do appreciate this conversation. I listen, it's, it may sound like um there's nothing we can do. That to me is part of the disinformation. There's plenty we can do. We just need to acknowledge where the problems are and who's being targeted and how to how to take care of it. That's good. That's the best way to end it. I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sophia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW.